Hello and welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Things That Charlie Did, Chapter 2. From where I was sitting, the view of the ocean was spectacular. There wasn't a cloud in the sky and the horizon seemed hundreds of miles away. It didn't keep the disappointment from hearing Charlie say that he was stuck from bothering me, though. Actually, it's not uncommon for writers to get stuck, believe me, I know, but it calls for me to go into an entirely different type of relationship with the author. Now, my view of the beautiful ocean was spoiled by the fact that I would have to be an encourager. The way things work were like this. The author writes a chapter, then sends it to me. I correct the minor problems and make suggestions and give it back to him for a rewrite. Then we go to the next chapter and so forth. Once one of these guys gets stuck, though, these things change. It's my job to do whatever is necessary to provide the author with the ideas and suggestions to get unstuck. Was I ever looking forward to retirement? This last assignment was going to be rough. Never had I met someone so unmotivated to write as Charlie. After six months, he had completed only three chapters of what we were expecting to be a 30-chapter book. Things weren't going well at all. I needed things to go well, too. My wife and I had big plans for my retirement, and any delays on this project would surely delay those plans. If Charlie didn't get going at a faster pace, my boss would be breathing down my neck constantly. I really needed things to go better and to go better quickly. What are you stuck on? I started to attack the problem with him immediately after he told me. Well, what to write next, he said. Well, I know that. I had to watch my tone of voice. All I needed was for him to be angrier with me than I was with him. That's usually what stuck means, I said. I forced a smile to erase the sarcasm. I mean, specifically tell me exactly the last thing you wrote and what you want to come next. It's funny, he said. I have to keep looking to see where I was last. I'm just not into this. I'm not even sure I want to finish. Oh, Charlie, just think of all the people who will be inspired by your story. This book will do that. You've got to write it first, though. It wasn't like me to tell such a bold-faced lie, but I did it that day. I don't know. I'm really having second thoughts about all of this. Charlie, I interrupted, flatly and formally. You, sir, have a contract. You being a lawyer, should know that you're legally bound to finish this book, Charlie. You've promised to deliver this. It was obvious he had been testing me to see my reaction. Should he suggest to back out of the deal, he knew full well he was obligated to finish the book. This is hard for me, he said almost in a whisper. I'm really having a hard time. He stood and began to pace back and forth in front of the floor-to-ceiling windows with his hands behind his back, his Adidas squeaking lightly as he stepped. Some of this stuff is kind of painful. I just don't like spending a lot of time on it, you know, like thinking about it, he said. 
You mean your childhood, I ask? That and, well, other things, too. Charlie, you really need to be more specific with me or I can't help, I said. He slowly walked back over to his desk and sat back down. He made a steeple with his fingers and touched them to his mouth as he leaned back in his chair. There's no way you guys would let me out of my contract. Hey, that isn't going to happen, I said. Well, that's what I thought you'd say. Look, let's do this. Do you have the next few weeks free? Yeah, I've blocked off the next 12 weeks, three months to get this thing finished. Good. Here's what we'll do. Let's start talking a little more so I can help you keep moving with this, okay? Say a couple of times a week. Again, he got up and started pacing. I've got a better idea, he said. Why don't you come stay here on the weekends? It would be better that way. The fact that he was thinking about the possibility of a plan was encouraging. Frankly, I was ready to hop on any suggestion he might have. Retirement, I kept saying to myself. I saw pictures of my RV cruising along a freeway with tall pine trees on the side. Sure, I responded. Let's do that. It's only for a few weeks, and then this thing will be done. We agreed to start the following weekend, and every Saturday morning for a month and a half, I made the trip to his home, stayed Saturday night, and returned on Sunday afternoons. During that time, we did make some progress. The first few weeks, things progressed nicely. By the time I would get there on Saturday, he would have a chapter and a half or so, I would edit what was completed, and we spent several hours discussing what came next. Those discussions normally took place over iced tea as we sat outside listening to the ocean roar in the distance. The progress soon came to a halt, though. Even this method of trying to get the book finished only worked for so long. Eventually he, and I admit me too, were stuck again. It soon became time for what we called around the office as Plan B. Now this was something we used from time to time to get authors going again when they got stuck. And all else failed. My bosses didn't like to use it much because it involved spending a good deal of money. However, in this case, it was easy to show them the steps that had been taken to get Charlie writing again and how something new had to be tried. So the bosses agreed to allow me to use Plan B. The publishing company I worked for owned a beautiful little villa in the Bahamas. That was Plan B. I'd only been down there once before. It was several years earlier for a quick weekend getaway with my wife, but never had any time down there helping an author. If my memory served me correctly, everything an author needed was there, though. I'll never forget what happened when I suggested going down there to him one Sunday morning. I spent at least 10 minutes explaining how a change of scenery was often the cure for many authors. Then at least another 15 minutes actually describing the villa. 
I told him of the lovely surroundings and excellent local food. We'll fly you down there in our private jet, I said. And once you feel comfortable with the finished copy, we'll give you a little extra time down there just to enjoy. What do you say? No, he said surprisingly. No, I asked. Nope. I don't see how being in the Bahamas is going to help me much. It's beautiful down there, Charlie. I've been there. You'll like it. Oops, I thought to myself. The thought that going down there would be boring to him didn't even cross my mind. At first, my thinking was that the entire idea of changing locations seems to be over with, so you can imagine how surprised I was when... Charlie actually came up with a suggestion of his own. Going somewhere else is a good idea after all. His hands were clasped behind his back as he spoke. He paced on the large balcony we were sitting on that morning. The ocean breeze gently touched us both. I just sat there patiently thinking, okay, what's next? You know, I've been all around the world, he said. Well, is there some place you haven't been, I asked. Sure, but it can't be a major city. Any suggestions? Be careful, I'm not sure I'm going to get my boss to agree to send you just anywhere. I was constantly looking out for my retirement. No way was I going to make my boss any angrier than he already was about this particular project. No, 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 he stated. If I do do this... I'll pay for it. I just need to figure out where to go. Well, he'd made up his mind to go and pay for it too. This was sounding better all the time. Now I was free to suggest anywhere in the world, so I did. France? Been there, he said. England? Done that. Hmm. I know. How about Australia, I suggested. No, no, I was there a couple of years ago. It's hot and they have a problem with snakes. I see. My mind was working overtime. How about Canada? Too cold, he responded. Somewhere in Africa, perhaps? Oh, no, I went on a safari last summer. One can only see so many giraffes and zebras. China? Worked in Peking last year for a couple of months. Nah. I really don't care for the food anyway. How about Japan, I ask? Don't like sitting on the floor, he responded. Charlie, really? Is there anywhere left? I mean, really. I was frustrated because since the money didn't seem to be much of a factor since he was paying for it, it seemed to me that he was being a little unreasonable, a little childlike. I've got an idea, he yelled suddenly, throwing his hands up into the air. His sudden show of excitement sort of took me off guard. I remember even jumping a little in my seat, like someone had come up behind me yelling boo. So what is it, I asked with anticipation. Let's get an atlas, he said excitedly. No way, better still, a globe. Yeah, a globe. We'll spin it around, I'll shut my eyes, and put my finger on a spot, and as long as it's not in the middle of the ocean, that's where I'll go to finish the book. 
Charlie, I ask, how is that different from me suggesting places for you to go? I've suggested most of the planet, and you said no. I don't know. Maybe just the way it's picked? Look, all I know is that I want to get this thing over with, he said. I wish I never would have done it in the first place. This whole book thing was a mistake. The only thing I could think of to do was suggest we find the nearest globe. I found one in one of the sitting areas adjacent to where we were, sitting atop an antique cherry wood pedestal. I picked it up and walked it to Charlie. When I reached him, he said, you spin. I spun it as hard as I could. It made a whispering, whirly sound as it spun and even gave off a slight breeze. Charlie closed his eyes tightly and stuck out his pointer finger. The first time he poked the spinning globe, his finger landed smack dab in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. One more time, he said, and I spun it hard again. This time, he extended his finger and hit pay dirt. Mexico. His finger touched central Mexico. Come on, he shouted. He picked the globe up off its pedestal and trotted off with his finger still pressed tightly against the spot. We need an atlas now, he said. I followed him into the front room where his desk was. He cradled the globe like a baby and pointed to a spot on the bookshelf with his eyes where I would find an atlas. Up there, he said. Retirement, I thought to myself. His finger was pressed hard against the globe like it had been glued there. I found the atlas quickly. It was so thrilling to see him excited. Retirement, I said to myself again. Thumbing through the pages, I came to a pull-out map of Mexico. It was very detailed indeed. Charlie looked over my shoulder as I began to run my finger south to the spot that was close to where Charlie's finger was on the globe. East, he said, and I moved slightly to the right. South, now down. There, Charlie finally took his finger off the globe. What's the closest city, he asked excitedly. There is no city, I answered. Well, you know, a town, he said. There's no town either. As I looked at the atlas, I could see it was in a very, very unpopulated area. There's more like a village, according to the population key on the map. There was a small village, I guess would be the proper word, of about 50 to 100 people. That's it. I'm going there to finish my book, said Charlie. Boy, how things had turned that day. I had gone from trying to convince Charlie that he needed to change his scenery so he could finish his book to trying to talk him out of where he was going. There was a village there called San Miguel with a population of less than 100 people. Charlie, I said, really, I, I think maybe... Stop it, he said firmly. He held his hands up in defiance, then smiled that broad smile again. This is what I want to do. And so it was. Charlie was on his way to San Miguel to finish his book.
Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Things That Charlie Did. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.